Thanks, James, for that amazing introduction. Um, like James said, my name is Lester. And I'm honestly like the most excited to be bringing God's word today. But before I get to it, I just want to give you a quick update in terms of what's happening in the next gen space. Just because I know for many of us, you'll just hear next gen and like you'll see some kids running around. But man, can I just say that it's I love our next gen team. They are amazing. Even right now, if I'm completely honest, I have so much FOMO that while everyone was singing inside here, I was outside playing some basketball, some air hockey, just having a great time with the kids. And honestly, we don't see what we do at Next Gen as a babysitting service. We see it as planting seeds and building, helping these kids build the foundation of faith. Right now in our preschool area, they're going to be learning about the gift of the Holy Spirit. In our primary school and city crew, which is our preteens, they're going to be learning about I am. Just as we're starting a series in the I am, they're going to be doing the same as well. And here's the deal. We would love to partner with you as parents. We don't want to just be babysitting. We want to help grow. So if you are not yet part of our parent WhatsApp group, I'd love to encourage you, please get signed up to that. It's a great way to get information and get some material and helping your students grow in their relationship with God. But honestly, I love them. I even see some of our high school students here in church today. It's so cool that we can be a church that is multi-generational. And if you're a high school student, shout out. It's so good having you guys. I know this is a little bit different, but man, this is church and we get to be together. And honestly, like, I haven't been inside a tent in a very long time. Shout out to our online family. But it's just so cool to see how many people there are. Like just seeing more chairs getting taken out, people getting directed to chairs. I hope you guys see what we have in the gift of this church. That the church is like just booming. God's word is being preached and we get to grow in our relationship with him. I just hope you see that, that we never take this moment or meeting together for granted ever. That when we gather together like this, God is honored by our meeting together. That the spirit says we're two or more gathered in my name. There I am. Right now, God's presence is here. If you're longing for a touch from God, you can receive that today. God can move in your life. He can do amazing things. Never see church as just something to tick a box to say, I was at church today. Don't allow your mind to wonder to what's going to come. Be present here right now so God can speak to you because he will. Like James said, we're on a series called I Am. This is a brand new series. We just came out of a series called God Is where we took some time to really unpack who God is and the nature of God through the Psalms. What we're going to be doing in this next few weeks is we're going to be unpacking what Jesus says about himself and what scripture says about himself. And I just want to set this up from the get-go. Today is one of those days where we are opening up God's word for response. Today's a day where we need to make a decision in terms of who Jesus is. I'm going to unpack what the word says about him. But before you leave these doors today or this venue, you need to make an internal decision. Who is Jesus to me? Not what other people have said about him, but through his word and what he's revealed about himself, who is he to me? And how does that change the way I live? We're going to be in the book of John. We're going to be unpacking that is so cool. I didn't know you could hear the music from down here. Um, we are going to be unpacking the Gospels. We're going to be specifically in the, the book of John. But I thought I'd just give us a quick overview on the different Gospels. If you're new to church, the Gospels are the first four books of the New Testament. We've got Mark, 
who was one of Jesus' disciples, we see that Mark is writing his gospel to a Roman audience. So he's very sharp and direct with his messaging. We see that Luke writes, and he's writing to the Gentile audience. If you don't know what a Gentile is, it is someone that was not Jewish. So if you were not born a Jew, you'd be considered a Gentile. So he's revealing who Jesus is to the Gentiles. Matthew, on the other hand, as he's writing his Gospels, he's writing it to a Jewish audience, revealing that Jesus was the Messiah. But when we come to John, John is revealing the character and the miracles and the nature of who Jesus is. So we're going to be diving into John. But like I said, today's a day where a decision needs to be made. And this is what John says about his Gospel in John chapter 20, verse 30. He says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. Today we need to decide, is Jesus the Son of God? And if so, are you believing him for your future? Are you believing him for eternity? We're going to be unpacking today's piece of scripture. We'll be in John chapter 8. Verse 48 onwards, let's read together. It says, the Jews answered him, are we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much for this time that we can come together and be in your presence. God, we we don't take this as just another moment. God, we see every moment that we have with you as a moment where you can speak to us. Holy Spirit, right now I pray, won't you speak to your people? God, I pray that everyone here today would leave with a better understanding of who you are, and God, we would respond accordingly. Thank you, God, that you see each person here. Holy Spirit, I pray, won't you take this word, and won't you minister to each person's heart in a unique and different way. Holy Spirit, won't you do what only you can do? We pray these things in your precious name. And all God's people said, like James mentioned, uh, I have a wife, the better half, my beautiful wife, Sivu. We've been married for six years. I thought I'd just give you an update. And we have one child. His name is Jethro Lunico Sinclair, uh, which means overflowing gift, because that's what we believe he is to us. Um, and he is currently 18 months old. 19. Sure, got that wrong. 19 months old. And honestly, he's growing and getting bigger, and it's so awesome to watch him grow. But last week, Saturday, Sivu wasn't feeling too well. And you know what? I decided I'd be a good husband. I said, babe, don't worry. Sleep in, rest. Jethro and I will go to the mall. Seems like a good idea. What could possibly go wrong? We went to the mall. We went into different shops. He was fine. We were there for a long time. And eventually, he just got over it. He just threw himself to the ground and said, I'm not moving anymore. We were in the middle of Santon, people watching, and I'm trying to reason with him. And he's just discovered this phrase, no. And whenever he does it, he goes, no, 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 no. And that's what he did. I said, let's go. No, no, no. Boy, we have to go. No. Then we went to the toys. He played for a little bit. Everything was good. Boy, we need to leave. No. So eventually, I just walked away from him. He cried on the floor. Maybe bad parenting. I left him. I walked away and then he got up, ran in front of me, and then just threw himself on the floor and started crying again. I don't want to go. Dad, pick me up. And my son and I had this battle of power. I'm saying this, he does this. I say this, he does that. 
in this piece of scripture that we're unpacking right now, if you're taking notes, point number one is this, the power struggle. We see that Jesus is appearing before the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees. And he makes a claim of himself in John chapter 8. He says, I am the light of the world. And they come against him and they say, how dare you say that? How dare you make a claim of yourself? Who are the witnesses to verify this claim of you? Context, in the, back in the Bible, in order to make a claim, there needed to be witnesses to verify the claim. Jesus had no witnesses to verify or attest to the claim he was making. So the Pharisees say that he's evil in his claim. It is not true. And Jesus and the Pharisees have this back and forth. And he says to them, uh, who are, who's your father? He's like, no, I, Abraham's our father. They're like, if you were Abraham, you'd be expecting me and you'd be obeying my words. And they're like, no, you're not of Abraham. So they have this back and forth. And eventually Jesus says, your father is the devil. Yeah, like I don't know what it was like for you guys, but when we're in school, people used to tune in and it like just escalates and it's escalated to the point where the Pharisees say, you are a devil. And then Jesus, or Jesus says, they are the devil. And they turn to Jesus and they're like, but you're a Samaritan and you are demon possessed. Now, as we're reading that, for some of us, you might be wondering, cool, they said he's a Samaritan. What does that mean? Well, a little bit of context. Back in the time of the northern and southern kingdom, we see that God's people, the Israelites, get taken by army called the Assyrians. They take the people into captivity. Some people are left behind and the Assyrians leave some of their people behind as well. So the Jewish people and the Assyrians mix together and they become the Samaritans. The reason for the name Samaritan is because the town was called Samaria so they became the Samaritans. But in view of the Jewish people, Samaritans were viewed as half-bloods, impure, they were viewed as what the Samaritans did is they took the law and they created their own law. They created their own temp temple and they worshipped. So to other Jews, they would be seen as not being authentic. They would be seen half-bloods. Back in the time of Jesus, it was an insult to call someone a Samaritan. You were saying they had no claim to Abraham because they had mixed with other races. So they were not fully Jewish. So the reason the Pharisees are making this claim of Jesus is because the fact that we know that Mary was Jesus' mother. But who was his father according to the Pharisees? They did not know. So they assumed that Jesus' father was a pagan man, therefore making Jesus a Samaritan. But we know that Jesus' mother, Mary, was conceived, he was conceived through the gift of the Holy Spirit. That his father was indeed God. But in saying that Jesus' father was a pagan, they were actually saying to the crowd and the people that were listening to him, this man has no authority for, to make these claims and no authority for us to listen to what he's saying. And then they go on further to say that he has a demon. To say that Jesus had a demon was to say that he was operating not under the will of the father, but under the will of the devil. That he was unclean, unworthy to say these things. In this moment, Jesus is not discrediting the Pharisees. He's speaking from the Father, but they are doing everything they can to discredit the words of Jesus. And I love what Jesus says. He says, I'm only speaking on the will of my Father. So they call him a Samaritan. They call him demon-possessed. And he just says, I honor my Father, and you do not honor me. I don't know what that verse provoked in you, but if I'm honest, it provokes shame in me. Because whenever someone does something that I don't like, I'm quick to tell them and respond immediately. Yet Jesus in this moment puts it back to the Father. Understanding what God revealed of himself in the Old Testament saying, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. 
Jesus had no need to defend himself on these things because he knew that God would do it on his behalf. And just a, a food for thought is how are we doing when it comes to defending ourselves in our own strength? Or are we saying and handing it over to God who's able to do immeasurably more than us? Are we saying, God, this is what's happening to me, but I'm trusting you and I'm submitting myself to you? Because that's what Jesus did. And again, so beautifully modeling for us to submit to the Father. In John chapter 8, we're going to continue to read on. This is what it says in verse 50. It says this. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died and did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Do you make yourself, who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out the temple. If you're taking notes, point number two is this, the promise. I love what goes on to say. Jesus says to the, the religious leaders, he says, truly, truly, this is, everyone look up, I need your attention again. This is all caps in an email, bold, like I need you to pay attention grab your attention again. Jesus is saying that if you obey my words, if you come to me, you will never taste death. The reality is we need to understand that death is the consequence of sin. When God created the world, he created the world for us to be in perfect relationship with him. But as soon as sin entered the world, it caused a divide between us and God. And I need us to understand today that God is not just a good God, he's a holy God. He is good, but he's holy, fully holy. He cannot stand to be in the presence of sin. Not a little bit of sin, not at all. He's fully holy. And as a result, because of our sin, we cannot be in his presence. And as a result of sin, there's death. But the death that Jesus was speaking about wasn't just the physical death. It was a spiritual death. Sin doesn't just keep us away out of God's presence. It separates us fully from him. There's a moment where we can either be in perfect relationship with God for eternity or we can forever be separated from him. I know this, I, I, no, never mind, this needs to be harsh because the reality is sometimes we dabble a little bit in who God is and we need to know that anything but God equals eternal separation from him. In his presence, we can sing songs like, I am set free, free from the clutches of sin and death, and I, my life is restored forever in his presence. I want you today to know that eternal life is found exclusively in Jesus. It's not Jesus plus some other things. It's not Jesus is a nice adaptation to what I already have going on. No, Jesus is the only way. You cannot have life 
life eternal outside of knowing and coming into a relationship with Jesus. This is not, I'm going to do a little bit of this, a little bit of this. I'm going to dabble in this religion. I'm going to dabble in this religion. Oh, I like some of what Jesus said. So I'm going to take the parts I like and I'm going to, no, no. In order to have it, it is exclusively in him alone. I know for some of us, you might feel, I've been a Christian for a very long time. This is, thanks Liz, this is like basic Christianity 101. But is your life reflective of this? Is it that Jesus is the only one? Or are you still trusting in other things? That when life pushes you, what are you running to? Because if it's not running to Jesus, then you're trusting in something else. Eternal life is received by believing in Jesus. We need to believe who Jesus is. We need to take him at his word. And it's taking him fully at his word. And I really do want to say that because I, like James said, we in youth ministry, young people are always telling me, oh, I like this part of Jesus. I don't like, like the New Testament. It seems a bit intense, but the New Old Testament, like he does some cool stuff. The New Testament, he heals people. I'm just going to take the Gospels only. I'm going to take a little bit of Genesis. We don't get to pick and choose when it comes to God's word. All of it is good. If you're ever finding yourself in a space where you're coming to certain books of the Bible and you're just skipping over, all of it is good. All of it is to help us grow in our relationship with Jesus. But we need to know that it only is possible through believing in Jesus. Eternal life is the only satisfying option for a hungry soul. Jesus, a little bit earlier in the chapter, will go to Samaria as you heard already, the Samaritans and the Jews just had no dealings. But we find Jesus at a well speaking to a woman. Not only a Samaritan, but a woman. The view of women during this time, it was, it was better to burn the law than to teach it to a woman. And here Jesus is having a moment with a woman. This woman who is caught up in her sin. This woman who most women would go at early in the morning to go draw water from this well. She comes at 12 o'clock because she's embarrassed and doesn't want to be seen by any other woman. So she comes and she draws water and there she finds Jesus. And Jesus says to her, won't you draw me some water? And she says, you have nothing to draw water with. And then he says to her, if you knew the one that was asking you for water, you would ask him for water and he would give you water and you'd never thirst again. The reality is this, each one of us has this deep rooted desire that only God can fulfill. No substance, no person, no thing will ever fulfill that. Only Jesus can. The reality is you can turn to other things. They'll give a euphoric feeling for a moment, but it will leave you feeling wanting more. It will never satisfy. Jesus is the only one that can satisfy your soul. He created it so that he could satisfy it. The next thing is eternal life is a gift of God's grace. We don't earn eternal life. We don't work our way towards eternal life. There's no amount of good deeds that makes you stand before God and he goes, you've been accepted. It's because of what Jesus did on your behalf that we receive the gift of eternal life. And I just want to set some people free from that today. That I feel like there's some of us who feel like, yes, God saved me, but I'm still a disappointment. So if I do good enough things, then maybe I'll accept God's favor and God's love. The Bible teaches us that God loved you. He's always loved you. But sin is that thing that separates us. That's why he sent his son to be the payment for sin once and for all. 
I hope right now that this is invoking something in you, not because of what I'm saying, but because God's word requires us to make a decision. I'm going to ask this question again as we move. Who is Jesus to you? The next thing we see is, in order to enjoy intimacy with Jesus, we need to be spending time in his word. Jesus says that if you would spend time in my word, he speaks about the words that he's saying. The only way to fully grow in your relationship with Jesus is to spend time in his word. I want to say this very clearly and carefully. The church attendance is good. Small group attendance, important, very good. Those do not lead exclusively to growth. In order to grow in your relationship with God, you need to be getting into God's word for yourself. We can't rely on what other people are saying about God. Who is God to you? Have you wrestled with him in the text? Have you gone to the Bible and found it challenging and just wrestled and said, God, I want to know you more? These are just supplementary things to help us grow. But the ultimate growth comes in our personal devotional time with God. Right now as a church, we're going to be journeying through the I am statements. But not only that, we're going to be journeying through the book of John. If you're someone in the room, you're like, I don't know where to start. Why not start in the book of John? We as a church are going to be reading John together. It's a good read. It's an easy read. James shared the other day that it will take you two hours if you read from start to finish. We're going to take it a little bit slower. Why not join us? If you don't know or you want that material on how to join, why not speak to James at the Connect area? But we want to be doing this together, getting into God's word for ourselves. All the city groups will be doing it, but it's important for us not to only rely on a Sunday, but to dive into God's word, wrestle with it, ask the questions about it. It's Jesus, even when he gives the disciples the great commission, he says, go and teach them all that I've taught you. It's the teaching in God's word that we grow. The reality is this. If you put your faith in Jesus, you will die, but you will never taste eternal death and separation from the Father. This is what D.L. Moody said. He said, someday you'll read in the paper that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Do not believe a word of it. At that moment, I will be more alive than I am now. I've, I shall go up, gone higher. That is all gone out of this old clay into a house that is immortal, a body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint, a body unto his own glorious body. If you put your faith in Jesus, death is merely the vehicle towards eternal life with him. But death outside of a relationship with Jesus equals eternal separation from him. This is beautiful. This is convicting. This is not just an add-on. This is the most important thing. That there is no freedom outside of Jesus. That it's important today that we need to make a decision. Who is he? Is he your source of eternal life? Is he your source of hope? If you're still with me and you're taking notes, point number three is this, preeminent. I'm going to give us a working definition of what preeminent is, and this is it. It's having paramount rank, dignity, or importance. Outstanding, supreme. This is what Jesus says in John 8, verse 53 to 54. He says, well, they say, are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Do you think yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you said, 
He is our God. <laughs> so much for Um, Here's the question you need to they ask of Jesus. Are you greater than our father Abraham? Are you greater than the prophets? To which the answer is this. Yes. Jesus is greater. He is greater. And this is what Paul has to say about Jesus being preeminent in Colossians. He says this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in all thing and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead. He is everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Jesus is preeminent, preeminent over all things because he is the image of God. We see that in the Old Testament that no one could stand to be in the presence of God. That the scripture teaches that if we were to be in the presence of God, that we would die because he's so holy and so powerful. But yet in Jesus, we have the image of God on earth. But it's also important for us to understand that Jesus created all things. That he's not a created being, but he was part of creation. That he created all things. That we see in the book of Genesis, it says, let us create man in our image. The person that God is speaking to is Jesus. Jesus has always been around. Yes, in the New Testament, we find him as a man. But it's important for us to understand that he has always been eternal. That nothing in creation is more preeminent than Jesus is. That everything on this earth submits itself to who Jesus is. Paul in this text says, he is the firstborn. Now you may be arguing, but how is he the firstborn? That doesn't speak in the context of firstborn as someone that is born, but rather it speaks about the position Jesus has. He is positioned in authority, speaking on behalf of the Father. When he speaks, he speaks from the Father. He speaks on behalf of the Father. Just as in the context of the time, the firstborn would receive everything from the Father. So too has Jesus received from God the Father. The next thing is Jesus preeminent over all creation because he sustains all things. Like I said, Jesus was part of creation, but he didn't just create and then step back and let the world spin out of his control. No, he's always been present in creation. That all things that are created are held together in the palm of God's hand, Jesus' hand. That he sustains all things together. We oftentimes say this to our young people at youth, but it's important for us to know that we are not the main story. We're not the main act. That Jesus is the main story. He's the main plot. That ultimately, as people, we are all sub-characters in the plot of Jesus. In the story of Jesus, it is all for him and all by him. I know that doesn't feel great because we'd all like to believe, no, I'm the most important thing. I'm the most important person. No, actually, the will of the Father is the most important thing. If you're ever finding yourself in this space, I want to just lovingly correct our thinking that God is ultimately using all of creation to point towards his son, 
to eternal life in Him, in freedom in Him. The question we need to ask is, is our life pointing others to who Jesus is? It's not a once-off, oh, I did it that day. Is your life consistently, always pointing others to Jesus? John Piper said it this way, God is all about His glory. We'll use your life for His glory and for the benefit of other people. That's what God is calling us to. But Jesus is also preeminent over the church because he's the head of the church. I love this because it takes a song that's on staff. It takes away the pressure of what we do at church because ultimately Jesus is leading this thing. It's all about him and it's all for him. The Bible speaks of the church as being a body. We each have a role and a thing, something to do in church, but ultimately God is the one that is leading this thing. God is ultimately the one that's in charge. But I love this. It speaks about each one of us having a role and a function. And if you're sitting in this place and you call City Home, how are you helping us be all that God's created this local church to be? We will never experience the fullness of what God has for City Hope Church if everyone doesn't come and play their part. And ultimately, it's all in submission to who God is as he, Jesus, leads this church. The next thing is this, point number four, is he is pre-existent. Jesus is pre-existent. Jesus will go on to say this statement, before Abraham was, I am. I don't know how that statement sits with you, but it just doesn't sound like good English. Before Abraham was, I am. It should be, before Abraham was, I was. But as we read that, it might sound weird, but to the audience, the people who were hearing this, Jesus was making a very bold and intense claim about himself. In this moment, Jesus was saying, I am eternal. Because Abraham came and died, but before Abraham was around, I existed. And in that claim, Jesus is saying, I will always exist. He is eternal. But more so than that, in this moment, Jesus is saying to the Pharisees and the people hearing, I am God. He wasn't just saying some confusing statement. He was saying, I am God. God. For us to better understand this, we need to go to Exodus chapter 3 verse 14. We see that God's people, the Israelites are in Egypt, slaves in captivity. And they cry out to God to set them free from the rule of the Egyptians. And God raises up a leader. His name is Moses. And Moses, while out being a shepherd, is confronted by a burning bush. Now, just a little bit of context for us to understand that burning bushes in the time that Moses was around was not like surprising. It was, the climate was hot, bushes would burn often. But the thing that made this particular bush different from any other, it was on fire but was not consumed by the fire, meaning that everything on the tree or the bush was still on the bush. And a voice came from the bush speaking to Moses saying that he's heard the cry of my people, I've heard the cry of my people, and I'm going to use you to set them free. Moses signs up for the task at hand. But then says to the burning bush, who shall I say has sent me? And the bush replies, I am that I am. In this moment, God was revealing one of his names. And the name that God was revealing was the name Yahweh. 
to the Jewish leaders. When Jesus was saying this, he was calling himself Yahweh. The, Jew, the, the religious leaders had such a high view of the name Yahweh that they never said it out loud. Out of fear of potentially taking that name in vain. So what they did is they denoted two names from the name Yahweh. It's where we get the word Jehovah and also where we get the word Adonai. So they would use those words to describe God, but they would never say the word Yahweh. To actually to use the word Yahweh was considered to be blasphemy. That's partly why we see the religious leaders grabbing stones ready to stone and kill Jesus. Just a sidebar. I don't know if anyone else saw that, but they tried, a crowd of people tried to kill Jesus and he disappeared. Like he hid from them. That's a miracle. I don't, like, I don't know how you read the Bible, but Jesus literally just performed a miracle in their presence, disappeared, and yet they still try to kill him again. He, I'm God, miracle. Like, yeah, it's just really cool. But I want you to see this, that Jesus saying, I am God. Moses came to set the people free from captivity that they experienced in Egypt. But Jesus came to set us free from captivity to sin. Jesus said, I am God. Not only am I a man that you can physically see in your presence, but I am God. In that moment, making a claim to be the Messiah, the one the people had been waiting for for such a long time, who they knew would come and set them free. But yet, they didn't believe it would be Jesus. I love what today is. Today is Palm Sunday. Today is the day where Jesus would come riding in on a donkey. Mind you, if you don't know this, that there was a prophecy that Jesus would come in on a borrowed donkey. And he does. And he comes riding in on this donkey. People throwing palm branches at his feet, singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Here comes the one who would set us free. Jesus came to do what we could never do. He came to set us free from our sin. No good thinking, no well working could ever set you free from your sin. It's only through the blood that was spilled through Jesus can we be set free from our sin. I love our cross. It lights up so beautifully. But I want you to look at the cross for a moment. Because on the cross, Jesus who was innocent was made guilty so that guilty people like us could be made innocent. Jesus came as the once-off perfect sacrifice. He needed to be innocent, and he was. He was God. I, I don't know what this does to you, but God left Jesus, left the comfort of heaven, came down to the very people he created who turned their back on him, who rebelled against him, died in our place so that we could be made new in him, that we could be made set free from our sin. No greater love is this, that someone would lay down their life. Jesus loved us so much that he laid down his life on the cross for us. And I love what he says, no one takes my life from me. I willingly lay it down. For the past future sins that we would commit, Jesus laid down his life. But then it calls us to make a decision. Who is Jesus? Is he just a man or is he God? This is what C.S. Lewis has to say on this. He says this, 
I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a good moral teacher, but I do not accept his claim to be God. This is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would, e would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. We must make a choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You cannot shut him up for a fool. You cannot spit on him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. Let us come with, let us not come with this patronizing nonsense about him being a good human teacher. He has not left that open for us. He did not intend to. Jesus was not just a morally good teacher. He was and is the son of God. But the reality is this, we can see what Scripture says to us. We, we can unpack it together, but who is Jesus to you? Is he just another way? Is he just something we add on to make this um, beautiful hot pot of different religions? And hopefully one of them will stick. Jesus is the only one to claim to be God. And I don't know what you know but other religions, but all other religions say... God is on top of the mountain. Work your way and you will reach him. Christianity, Jesus came down from the mountain, came down from heaven, came and lived amongst us so that we could be in relationship with him. I'm going to ask everyone to do me a favor for a second. If you wouldn't mind, please closing your eyes and bowing your head. This is the, this week coming, we prepare ourselves for Easter, where Jesus would ultimately go to the cross. Jesus goes to the cross. Three nails put in him. He hung there. Died a death to set us free. Do you know that while Jesus was on the cross, Scripture records that God could not look at his own son. Many people say of this moment that God so loved his son that he couldn't stand to see him in so much agony. No, God was a holy, good God and could not stand to see our sin that was placed on his son. For the very first time in all creation, Jesus and God were separated for the very first time. He experienced intense separation from the Father so that we no longer would experience that separation. Jesus died and hung on the cross so that you could have eternal life. That when you die, it's just the vehicle to move you into eternal life with the Father. Eternal life, heaven, where there'll be no more sickness, no more pain. Where all things will be restored again. How God intended it to be. But the only way we get to experience that is by surrendering our lives and acknowledging what Jesus did on our behalf. So right now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to allow some people to respond to that today. It may not be anything that was said from the priest today, but maybe God's already been working on your hearts, preparing you for a moment where he's saying, I want you to come back to me. I want you to experience this gift. I want you to be set free from your sin. 
that thing that you're holding on to that's got its neck or loose around your neck, I set you free from that. And all I require from you is to acknowledge who I am. It says God already loved us. We just respond to his love. Or maybe you're someone where at a young age, maybe that is a decision you made, or, but then life happens and it just feels like you've been turning to other vices, other things. And God is saying today, allow me to be the number one thing in your life. Not me plus anything, just me. Whatever that thing is that's holding onto you, why not lay it at the foot of the cross today? Surrender it over to Jesus. If there's anyone in the room today who would like to respond to the call of Jesus, with every head bowed, every eye closed, all I'm going to ask you to do is stick your hand up. I'd love to pray for you. Is there anyone in the room today who would like to respond to the call of God in their lives? Father God, we thank you so much for those people who have their hands lifted high. Thank you, God, behind every hand is a person you died to save on the cross. God, we thank you so much that for these people who are acknowledging today and saying, I want Jesus to be my number one priority. I want Jesus to be Lord over my life. Father God, I pray for whatever might be snare of sin has come around them. Father God, I pray right now in your name that freedom would be received right now. God, I pray right now, God, won't you overwhelm them with your love like never before, Father God, that they would experience true freedom in you. Father God, I pray give them a peace that surpasses all understanding. That God, from this day forward, Father God, that they would live as children of God. That God, you'd equip them. God, I pray that this wouldn't just be a moment decision on a Sunday, but God, I pray that the eternities would ever be impacted from this moment. God, take them from strength to strength, from glory to glory. We pray these things in your precious name. Amen. Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, and he says to them, Abraham rejoiced at the coming of my day and saw it. We've seen what Jesus has done. And what we want to do in this moment is we want to respond in celebration. So I'm going to ask everyone to stand up with me for a second. There's a few things I kind of want to set us up for because what we're going to do right now is we're going to worship. But before we worship, today in our midst, some people have acknowledged Jesus as their Savior. And the Bible teaches us that heaven rejoices. And we want to be people that rejoice as well. So I'm going to ask us, can we give a round of applause and some cheers for the people who have made that decision today?
next year. And what we're going to do right now is we're going to sing with all that we have to a God who is always victorious, who doesn't have a bad season, who doesn't have a bad day, who overcame everything. So I'm going to ask us to do something, and maybe you've never done this before. I'm going to ask you to lift your hands in worship. And that's going to be a sign of victory because of what Jesus has overcome. But at the same time, a sign of surrender saying, Jesus, without you, this means nothing. So when we cast our mind to Calvary, we remember where Jesus bled and died for us, and we stand victorious. When we cast our mind to Calvary, we're reminded that we need to, all we need to do is surrender and allow God to work on our part. So we're not going to get comfortable. We're not going to be chill about this. Maybe you're uncomfortable because you might be off tune. Don't worry. The Bible says it's a heavenly noise. You might put your hand up and the person next to you might be like, dude, please put your hand down. It's a bit sweaty. Don't worry. I think too many times we get caught up on offending the people around us. Right now, it's to the one who is worthy. It's to the one that deserves our praise. So let's sing to a God. If you want to whistle, whistle. If you want to shout, shout. But let's sing the song in victory to our God who's overcome. Let's sing together.